Welcome, this is the Collective Nightmares Podcast. My name is Marshall Smith. We are sociologists who talk horror movies, or rather it seems like recently this is, we start talking about horror movies and we end up talking about other bigger topics to do with sociology and life in general. Regardless, I have a lifelong interest in horror and really anything transgressive as a result of, or at least in part because I have suspicion and a general distaste for the quote-unquote normal and the typical and and I'm intrigued by the so-called deviant or atypical. And I'm Laura Patterson and Marshall and I both have our PhDs in sociology from the University of Colorado and I've always been interested in horror because I really think it's through our most horrific traits and our most horrific experiences that people have both the greatest need and the greatest ability to connect with each other. So the film we watched, uh, the film we watched for tonight is quite different than what we have been watching. It's still categorized as drama, horror, mystery, thriller, all four on IMDb. The film is Greta. It, I think, was just actually, I think tonight is the opening day. The broad release, possibly. It is a Neil Jordan film. He directed it. It was written, the screenplay by, was written by Neil Jordan and Ray Wright, who apparently also wrote the story that inspired the film, starring Isabel Huppert, Chloe Grace Moretz, and Maika Monroe. Neil Jordan is most well known for being the director of The Crying Game. He also directed he also directed a film called the brave one that is a jodie foster woman revenge film that is more action than horror that's actually one i have mentioned that maybe when we were doing when we go back to some sort of woman revenge film that's one i thought would be interesting to do and the imdb synopsis it's a 2018 film the imdb synopsis is A young woman befriends a lonely widow who's harboring a dark and deadly agenda towards her. Spoilers, this episode for Greta, which will just save you the trouble. You don't need to see Greta. You can... (laughs) I'm the most anti-spoiler person there is, and you don't need to see the film. You can just listen to us. I'll talk about it. It, It's fine. You're not missing anything. (laughs) ever said that. I don't think I've ever said that either. And Crying Game? Kick-Ass. Crying Game, but I didn't do the spoiler for Crying Game. Kick-Ass is what I talked about. Spoilers for Kick-Ass. I think that's it. And... Can I start? Please. It was so bad. It was so bad. For the first, like, two-thirds of the movie, I thought it was a serious contender. Not even contender. I was pretty sure it just... It had it, that it was the worst movie that we've seen, possibly ever, including Love Witch, including, what was the one you hated? Nicholas Cage, yes, including Mandy. <laughs> including even, 
Oh, God, I don't know. Kill Baby Kill. Yeah, Kill Baby Kill. Way to bring it back. Kill Baby Kill was more painful to sit through. So, I, but I was couldn't even decide if that made it worse or not. It, it was so bad. And it got like a little bit better at the end. Just a little bit. God, that was a terrible movie. Terrible. I was thinking through the movie, like, what are we going to talk about afterwards? Because once we run through how terrible it was, which probably won't take too long, because it wasn't even like interestingly terrible, really, then we're just going to have to talk about what makes a bad movie apparently appealing and how is like the sort of structure of distribution such that this can get made and get its own little chiclet gum things or whatever they passed out at the theater or it was terrible. Can that guy even take credit for writing the story as though the story hasn't existed for a bazillion years in like every form possible? I mean, like there was nothing new in this entire movie. It was so bad. So bad. Sorry, you can go now. All right. Hot <laughs> take from Laura. <laughs> not the lead with that. Didn't, how about this? I agree it was bad, but I didn't hate it. I'm trying to look up and see if it's getting, what kind of reviews it's getting. Which we typically don't care too much. No, we I was... didn't look at all, but I'm just curious now, because, yeah, look at that. Tomato meter, 59% critics, 75% audience. Is that reasonably uh, okay? Yeah, well, 60% is when you get to be a certified fresh. So it's like a D minus or better. <laughs> but with audience, 75%, which I find fascinating. I feel like this is something that critics could like more than the audience. So yes, it was bad. But uh, no, I didn't find myself actively um, hating it or like resentful of the filmmakers for having created <laughs> created it. See, I think that's because it was so bad. It actually didn't trigger anything interesting. Love Witch, for example, tried to do something that was interesting and pretentious, I guess, also. And in trying to do something interesting, it did a bad job, which then makes you angry with it because you could see what it was sort of shooting for, maybe, or th there was something there to hate. This was so bland and non-existent that's why I think it was even less painful than Kill Baby Kill, which might make it worse. Because there was just nothing there. Nothing. Nothing. It was devoid of anything interesting. The acting was terrible. The lines were terrible. The story was completely generic. Do we have, a, do we have any other old woman stalks, younger woman stalker films? I agree with you The stalking is not. No, I mean, that's true that it was there were all female characters, but I also think they were actually more devoid of character, of like interesting character, than many of the films where we've probably critiqued for giving you a flat, non-existent female character, which is way worse when the entire film is female characters because everybody was pointless. Everybody was a flat, kind of stereotype? I don't even know if a stereotype, just non-existent. We knew nothing interesting about any of them. There was no reason to care. The conversations were entirely empty. It was like the beginning of The Human Centipede when we were saying that has to be purposefully bad acting and purposely vapid, which I don't think it was now in retrospect, now that we've gone through <laughs> six hours of digging into The Human Centipede. But there was nothing. Uh, yeah, I, I do absolutely agree. And I did find myself in the film thinking it was going to be a conversation where we try and figure out why it's as bad as it is. Because I, I like Chloe Grace Moretz just... Generally, she was, did you ever see uh, Kick-Ass? Not Kick-Ass. 
Yeah, Kick-Ass. Kick-Ass is like the... This kid decides to be a superhero, and just but he's just a do-gooder, and I can't remember exactly what happens, but it, it's really this kind of anime-style, almost film. And Chloe Grace Moretz comes in as... She's like 10 in the movie. I think it was her first role. Definitely her first major role. <clears throat> she's this girl who's been being who's been trained by her father as an, an assassin since she was like two. And her, her father is the assassin is Nicolas Cage, which speaks volumes about the film. And she's just this insane... She just slaughters people as this 10-year-old girl in like this purple superhero outfit. <laughs> See, it was like a cult film. And I think that's why people like Chloe Grace Moretz. She's been in some other films since then. So uh, that's probably my bias is I thought she, she's in the new Suspiria. She's like hot Hollywood ingenue. Which one was she? She's the lead? She's the lead. Okay. And she, I felt like she tried with a lot of the acting. Maybe it was too hard. I agree though that, so I am more forgiving for her, but yeah, what was her characterization was... She went to Smith College, which is such an eye roll of as though that's a character. Great, she went to a historic women's college because everybody who goes to Smith is exactly the same. <laughs> and yeah, we didn't ever know anything else about her. She's, she's got a father. He does something. <laughs> she has a job, I guess. <laughs> right. And she has a mom who died. And she is wealthy. Some friend is wealthy enough to have parents buy her some uber fancy loft in Tribeca in New York upon graduation where they can just hang out even though somehow she still has to wait tables. They talk during movies. <laughs> Which I thought would I thought that scene must be driving you crazy. Not only because the acting was also terrible. The acting for the whole first I don't I think it got better, but the first I don't know what, half hour, twenty minutes, it was really bad at the beginning. And I think it marginally improved over the course of the film. I agree. I, I knew that that person, her friend, Erica, I knew she looked familiar. She's uh, one of the sisters in It Follows. Was she in Shameless also? The American remake? She looks a lot like the sister in that. I don't see a Shameless on here. Anyway, they are actors who have had decent roles. Did you go with us to see Paul Verhoeven's newest film that Isabel Huppert was also in? With Matt. With Matt. And it was, well, it was Paul Verhoeven, so it was fairly sexist. L. Yes. I remember sitting at the Mediterranean restaurant talking about it and talking about religion tying into whatever this film was that we had just seen. Yeah, I think that was L. I don't remember the movie almost at all, but yes. Okay. Well, she's the lead in that as well. Anyway, they're, so they're actresses that have done well in other films. Uh, he's made at least, I think of all the films I just looked at, I rewatched Crying Game like two years ago because I couldn't remember it. It's fine, although I think it had some of the same problems as this film did. I thought The Brave One was actually great. So he has made other films that are apparently at least decent. I don't know what happened here. And like you said, people were hearing about it. I guess they're putting a lot of money in a promotion. And they know it's bad. So they better get everybody to go see it opening weekend before they realize. But people, whatever the uh, Rotten Tomatoes said, pretty good. I feel like it was exactly as good as a Lifetime movie. As in, 
fine. If you want to see that movie with not great acting and nothing super interesting is going to happen, but it's, it's that movie. It will be competent ish. And then it will be over two hours later. You know, it felt exactly like that. It was bad. It was bad. Competent ish. That's exactly right. I wanted to look at budget. How, how much money does it take to make competent ish? I don't see a budget on here. I mean, the dialogue, having written a screenplay, I often will think about the dialogue on the page and the process of writing it. And I don't know how far we were into the movie, easily 15 minutes, if not 20, where there was an interesting line. It was so bad. And I kept thinking, like, if I were writing this, there's no way I'd let any of that slide. Like, you can't use space and have it just be completely generic. Certainly you don't want to lead with generic, which is absolutely what they did, which is just a terrible way to start a film, I think. And then every line, every line, for really minutes and minutes and minutes, it was like you decide how you want these two people to interact. And so you think of the most cliche thing that they could do or way they could talk. I didn't believe any of it. When she shows up at Greta's house, that was so weird and awkward. And it was awkward not in a way that I felt like they were effectively creating the feeling of awkwardness, but I felt sorry for them. Like, I felt sorry for the film. And I did. And I I'm felt, laughing because I absolutely agree. It was just, it was painful. And then to have this awkward conversation unfold between them, thinking there's no way that the main character, not Greta, what was her name? I don't even know her name because it was oh, not important. Uh, Mandy? <laughs> I like that. Francis. Francis, yes. Which is, I just say, I have to say, that's a name I hate and I don't know why. My mom has a friend named Frances. I probably shouldn't hate that name. It was a super sweet woman. Anyway. Frances, I didn't believe her even coming in and taking the coffee because it would be a weird thing to accept. Okay, let's just say she did. The amount of strange small talk that they got into was totally bizarre. Like, oh, is that your husband? Is that your... what? Oh, that's your daughter. Let's talk about each other's lives. It just didn't feel natural or right or it was crossing weird boundaries and at the same time, overly formal. and It was just bad. And why anyone would ever offer up to help Greta go get a dog, which is, again, the most cliche. If I were trying to come up with a reason for them to go on an outing, something might come to mind in, like, the one-second version of, like, I don't know, like, she goes to help her get a dog. I would never write that, <laughs> you know? And then you say, okay, how can I make this actually feel believable? And not only believable, but interesting. Because in any scene, I think you're going to put in a screenplay, you have to... My take would be that you have to have an interesting commentary on life, some kind of hook that I think that people should be able to watch a scene, and even if they're not interested in the overall arc of the movie, they should find something to grab onto that's interesting in that scene. And, I mean, I I remember writing in the screenplay that we were working on, like, scenes where, okay, these two characters are going to be on a date, and we don't know them yet, we don't know who they are, and entering the sort of strange power dynamic between the two characters in it, only because... At that point, because I thought, I'm not just going to write a date scene. I don't want to just write, I don't want you to have to watch three or five or whatever minutes of a date. So how can I make a date interesting? Okay, he's way older than she is. Let's let's create a bit of a creepy vibe, like he's maybe sort of wielding some kind of power over her and we don't understand what it is. Then it becomes an interesting scene, I think, in its own right. And you don't have to know who they are and you don't have to know how it fits into the rest of the plot because you're actually interested in just these two characters sitting there doing that. This movie was completely devoid of any of that. It was just nothing. Nothing. And and when Frances is laying in bed at night then and Greta texts her, my gut reaction was like, oh, that's creepy. That's weird. 
And instead she, what, puts her picture in her phone and texts her back. And I guess there was supposed to be the background of like she lost her mom and maybe this can be her mother figure, but they did not do that well enough. And that In the on paper outline description, I feel like you could try to pull off a movie where that was the case. I did not feel that emotionally at all in this movie. No, it, no, it wasn't there. And I hate to blame the actors because like you said, the lines, the writing were so bad. But yeah, the chemistry or whatever that is absolutely wasn't there between Francis and her friend. Yeah, there would have there just had to be there was no Yeah, I like this. I like going through so okay, so writing is bad. Lack of characterization. I felt like things were either especially in the beginning, they were either too rushed. With Greta, it was all too rushed. It's like, oh yes, come in. Oh, how's is that your husband? Is that your daughter? Is that your this, that? Those are just exactly the immediate questions. There was no sort of small talk or, or uh, I don't know what you would say, but, and then there were these long, longer scenes that were let breathe that was heard lounging around the loft where apparently supposedly vapid friend does yoga and talks about colonics or partying. I mean, the, the, <clears throat> it was, it was, I would, I mean, I would think it's obviously written by men and obviously written by men who don't really interact with women who are anywhere in the age range of like 25 to 15. <laughs> like, oh, I bought shoes. Oh, I do yoga. And then I, I don't even know what the whole, there's a fad might be, it's either creepy and weird that he decided I'm going to give this asparagus colonic line or it's this is a fad he read about somewhere of people health people in New York or something which who knows it could be but those scenes were way long and there was no build and there was no breathing with with Greta so it is interesting that it was written by a man, right? Or they said the story was then, conceived by both. So written by and then the story conceived by also two separate people. Yep. And then directed also? The story person also co-wrote with the director, the screenplay. Okay, so two. It's interesting that all of the characters are women and they're so empty. It is. And I don't even know if I want to blame them in a sexist way because it's possible they would have written just as bad a film about men. It's not like the women, by contrast to the male, fully fleshed out characters, were problematic. It's, it's just that there were no characters in this entire film. You said that, you know, the roommate was supposed to be vapid. I found her to be, I think, slightly less vapid than all the rest of the characters. And I don't even know why. It might just be because I felt like her acting was a little better. Or because of chemistry, like you said. Not with anybody. Not that she had chemistry with anyone in the film. But I somehow her own presence, I found to be a little bit more like believable. She came across more like a human somehow. Not even one I would necessarily want to hang out with. Just she seemed a little bit like a person. Our main character felt fake. Absolutely. And the bad acting didn't help. I mean, even the scene this is so minor, but I just cringed when I saw it. When she threw the phone on the floor and she said, God damn it, or whatever she said, I might have been able to do it better. And I can't act. <laughs> if you see, you've, you've seen me try to walk across the room when there's a camera pointed at me. That was really bad. Really bad. It was bad. It was bad. I agree. And we saw that with that actress, Micah Monroe. We saw that and it follows. She totally has presence. She totally can 
draw viewers in. Felt that same way here. And even though she's presented as fat, vapid of, oh, health nut, health fad, shoes, parties. She, <clears throat> she at least had presence of mind to say things like, you don't do this. Here's some sort of street smart. Here's some sort of like privacy smarts. Here's boundaries that you have to put up. And here's, you're trying to, this woman's dangerous to you because you're, grieving for your mom and you're trying to replace her and that's not going to work. And, and then apparently was smart enough to, I'm going to ride the subways that my roommate used to ride to find, uh, if I ever see this bag again or this woman, she'd seen her, right? So maybe we should just say plot holes. Oh God, I was going to say, I think you're giving us too much credit there with even half of I'm those examples. I'm just saying that, that that character did have some actual they behaved ways that made sense. Or she did some things that made sense. Big plot holes. Private investigator. Gets hired by dad. Goes missing. Oh well. <laughs> private investigator, I'm sorry, gets hired by father to find his daughter after his wife has recently died. And when private investigator goes missing, just gives up and disappears apparently for long enough that the roommate can ride subways for a long time and recreate this whole scenario well and he knew the dad knew right where the private investigator was going wasn't the somebody dad, presumably did wasn't the dad in the room or was the dad not in the room when the private investigator was talking to the person who was saying could this be greta he had the right person so he probably shared with dad at least like oh i have this person i'm going to follow up on whatever you would think he'd be in communication with dad like he's probably going there today then right he falls off the face of the earth you would think he would track down you would figure out who that person was he was going after. Also, a private investigator clearly had enough indication when he was in the house. I mean, as soon as the woman said, I know her, and then, okay, he goes inside, things are looking fishy, you don't stay and wait for her to be crazy on you. You would leave, I would assume. Or something. Tell, or tell someone where you are, something. So yes, that was the major, that was the biggest bottle. Oh, I've got another one, which is friends, parents have enough money and influence to just outright buy a loft in wherever fancy neighborhood of New York to for their daughter. But when some woman's harassing them, there's not something that they can hire a lawyer to send cease and desist or let's, I mean, who knows? See, that kind of fucking money, hire somebody to monitor or watch the, something would happen. Everybody's behavior was just bizarre. I think the whole, what was it? The slow fade? plot turn was ridiculous. That's not a thing that people would try to get rid of their stalker, I don't think. And it was just, it was all contrived. It was like, you clearly could see every point where the movie, I mean, for the entire film, we want to get these two people together. Okay, she's going to find her bag on the subway and get to her house. And then she's going to invite her in and then they'll talk. And then they're going to, they're going to come up with something. How about she wants a dog and she's going to help her get a dog. Okay. That's what's going to happen. And Oh, well, how about this woman's, her mom died. And so that's why she's like overly interested in this woman. Okay. Okay. We'll do it that way. Every piece of it was just clearly set up for like, well, now we can't just have her not show up. Oh, well, let's make the woman a waiter so that when, you know, when the other woman shows up, she's like forced, she's forced to talk to her and that'll make it so they have to talk. Okay, that'll, that'll help. And then, oh, you know, the court system is too overcrowded. They can't really get a restraining order. That's not good. There we go. Okay, that'll work. 
And, oh, let's, oh now, yeah, the, the friend tells her the best way to break up with her is actually to go talk to her again. So now we can get them together again. Oh, she's worried about the dog. Oh, my God. That was terrible. Like, oh, man, this whole thing, it's like, thank God I got away from the stalker. Oh, the dog. Oh, no, well, now I have to go over and start rooting through the trash and find an envelope that has her daughter's address on it. Clearly, that makes sense because, oh, I'm just, I'm worried about the dog. Like, it was just every single piece of it was the worst version you could come up with. Right. of how to make the thing happen that you want it to happen without any real compelling emotional inertia behind that. And, and I'm going to qualify this because I'm not really a dog person anyway, but I have to say, when she was like, oh, the dog, I was like, the dog is about to die anyway. <laughs> it's fine. I, I might be a little bit low on the dog empathy sometimes still as well, but like, I thought this exact same thing that the dog was like a day away from death and there's no real reason honestly to think she's going to hurt the dog she's crazy she's stalking you she might be perfectly I think she could fall anywhere on the fitness of dog parent spectrum really her behavior toward her stalky did not to me honestly raise any red flags that she was like say torturing the dog right yeah absolutely so yeah it was full of potholes I felt like the music was really an odd tone I'm sorry do you have more to say about plot? Yeah, I mean, we could pick that apart. I, I found the this is New York City, the courts are so... That, I thought, was as egregious as you thought some of the other lines were. I don't think that's how restraining orders work anymore. I think we've actually gotten to... I don't know about New York, but now it's like because of efforts of feminists for years, right? You can now file a notice and it's instituted. It's a much, much more streamlined process. Anyway... I felt like the music was just so odd. It was such an odd tone. It was, I don't know exactly what they were trying to do, but they had these melancholy ballads that I think were supposed to be sort of creepy. But like you said, reminded me more of a Lifetime movie than they did. I'm trying to think of a, I'm trying to think of a good horror movie that used. I, I really feel like the only, it was just so odd. It was so odd. I don't recall the music. Honestly. No, it didn't. No. Yeah, it, it just didn't fit for me at all. It didn't fit. The only times I noticed it working were when they did more traditional scary movie with strings or like fl- flittering piano or skittering or those sorts of sounds. And that was very rarely. And I think one of the only times they did it was when she found the bags, the multiple uh, green bags, which was probably the scariest or the most interesting reveal in the whole film. Like, that was like, okay, now that's something interesting. Okay, what is she doing? The the box thing was so heavy-handed. Oh, I don't know if the box was literal or metaphorical. I mean, it's just like, oh, my God. Come on. I don't even know if there's anything else to pull out of it. It was, it was just the fairy tale, right, of sort of the Hansel and Gretel? Like, I'm going to lure you to the oven and push you in? Yeah, some of the scenes at the end, I thought, got... They had some effective tension. I really just wanted the movie to be over. It was a short film, but I wanted it to be over because it was so clearly not going to say anything, and I'd seen that movie a thousand times, and I guess I wanted to see if they were going to get away or not, how dark they were going to go with the ending. But... I was ready for it to end, but they, but they did, I thought, have some effective tension, even if I begrudged them for it. 
and, and like stupid things, like right, like the friend gets there and drugs Greta, and then goes into the room and they hug and they, you know, and, and it's set up as a it's a film and they're setting it up to be tension, like oh no, is she still out there? Is she gonna lock them in? And and I was upset at myself for being like oh no, and then feeling like they're doing this so obviously on purpose. This is such bad storytelling. It's just badly done. But I did care and feel it. And then when the music came on, like that was actually scary, sort of, even though entirely cliche. I, I was a little bit sucked in when I, I had the moment of, oh, it's the roommate, before we, she was really brought into focus. And that was, I had a little tiny payoff there. Like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Now what's going to happen? Are we going to do some revenge? Pothole, other additional bottle I thought was, we're just going to leave the other woman downstairs. <laughs> Barely alive in the body bag. <laughs> well, she was dead. Was she dead? I thought the because Francis was in the bathtub. The scene after she cut off what's her name's finger, and Greta's finger, and she said something to Greta about the woman, the other woman, and Greta said, "Oh no, no, she's she's in heaven now." I believed her. I thought she actually killed her. Okay, I didn't think she had. I thought she just had put her out of her mind. Because didn't she move when she opened the bag in the basement? She, yeah, she was alive then. Okay, you're saying since then I she thought been. so. We've walked down this road before with, I think, the slasher films that we talked about. So I won't go into too much detail, but I can tell a very small anecdote from my day that relates to this film slightly. I was at the zoo with my son, and he's five, and we were watching The Elephant Show. And we had seen The Elephant Show on Tuesday as well. Because we were at the zoo on Tuesday, also, because he really likes animals right now. And wanted to go to the zoo. So you took to your kid to <laughs> That's right. Animal jail. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you took lovely pictures. Yeah, I did. And I, I was just going to say that we were sitting there watching the elephant show. We'd been there on Tuesday, also, because he really likes animals right now, and so we go back a lot, I guess, so he can see the different animals. And they made some comment during the show about, oh, do you, does anyone know the name of this elephant? And the guy said, oh, we have some regulars here. thought maybe we'd have one of our regulars who knew the elephant's name, and nobody happened to chime in with the elephant's name. And I thought, who would be a regular at the elephant show? And it baffles me. Every time I go to the zoo, I think this. It, it entirely makes sense, I think, why people go with very small children, because it's, like, incredibly kid-friendly. I'm kind of on the fence as far as how I feel about the existence of the zoo in general, but I will say, having had a child, it tipped me in the favor of, it's just so much easier to just be okay with the zoo so I can take him to the zoo because it's really a great place to take like a five years old and under kid. But there are grown-ups that go to the zoo and they like, they'll be there on a date, it looks like, or even not. But there are plenty of groups of people with no small children that I see at the zoo, also in the middle of the day on like a Thursday. You know, it's, it's odd. And old, I thought, old people? Sometimes, but often not. Often, no. Okay. 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, everybody. There's people at the zoo that I would not expect to be at the zoo, that many of them, without, again, a toddler running around. And I thought, why would someone come to watch the elephant show? And why would you come frequently to the zoo to watch the elephant show? And it brought me back to this idea from like the slasher films that we were watching, of people just really liking predictability, and that there's something relaxing and comforting about it falls into the whole Disney thing, right? The McDonaldization thing, for sure. We're going to structure your fun in such a way that you're told you're having fun, and you're not going to be threatened at all 
and you're not going to be engaged with really, and nothing super interesting is going to happen. There's not going to be anything to like shake up your world at all. You're just going to, you're going to sit through the same thing over again. And that's somehow going to feel comforting. It's, it's the exact, they were playing Pirates of the Caribbean from Disney music on the carousel today at the zoo, which I found totally bizarre on like a crossing of corporate boundaries. <laughs> that seemed weird to me, but the Pirates of the Caribbean ride at Disney world, again, exact same thing. And I know, friends who go and families who go and my friend's mom, actually, I remember this distinctly from the last time we were at Disney having this discussion and her saying, Oh, wait, wait, wait. Are you, if you're going to go on pirates of the Caribbean, I want to go. I said, wait, I want to go on that. And it's just a little, you're at a boat in a circle. It, got, it has some animatronic pirates, which I had this interesting conversation with Noah today about the pirates and how they're actually embodying something really kind of awful. And it's funny that we have like a kid's ride about it. And it's like happy song anyway. And, People just run a ride a boat in the circle past the same weird pirate scene because it's comfort because it's fun and entirely non-challenging. And maybe the elephant shows the exact same thing. It's just it's fun. It's entirely not challenging. And this film, in a lot of ways, felt the same way to me. I kept coming back to that feeling in watching it that it was there was nothing to rock your boat at all. It was exactly what you signed up for. There was just nothing. Right. And maybe people like that. In, I mean, maybe that's what, not people, all people in all circumstances, but, but maybe there's a market for that. And maybe that's why it's getting okay reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, you know, maybe. Yeah. I, I, people got what they came for. I think your diagnosis is spot on. Because it wasn't even, is it, it can't even be R, is it? Oh my God, it's R. How is it R? That finger was kind of gruesome. That was the best scene in the movie, not to just be drawn to the gore, but the scene where they cut back to her putting the needle oh. in her finger because they, they started so close and then pulled back. So you didn't realize what you were looking at. And then once you did, you didn't want to see it that close and you already had. And that was actually a vaguely effective moment. I thought the R rating parents guide on IMDb gives frightening and intense scenes severe, <laughs> which uh, I find laughable. <laughs> um, everything else is mild except violence and gore is moderate. So what I was thinking is, if this were PG-13, that would make total sense. Because I could totally see this being kind of scary, kind of safe fodder for a suburban 13 to 18-year-olds, maybe a little bit younger than that. And they, their movie-going demographic, they might pick up some other folks. But it's R, which people make a big deal about it's R, then the kids can't go without a parent, and that affects bottom line. Why this is R, I still find, ba- find it baffling and why they wouldn't cut it to cut it to get a PG-13 so that they could market to that group. Maybe he has enough success in Hollywood that he has... I mean, Crying Game made all kinds of... Neil Jordan is the person's name. He is best known for The Crying Game, Michael Collins, The Borgias, it's a TV show. Oh, that was really popular and well-reviewed, was I it? think, yeah. Okay. Breakfast on Pluto, Byzantium, Ondine, The Brave One, Good Thief, End of the Affair, Butcher Boy, In Dreams. Anyway, uh, yeah, and it didn't really, it had nothing to say. Oh, no, no. The only thing interesting I think it says about society, it's, it draws back to like the soccer films, is looking at who would want to see it. I think that is a bit of commentary on the state of society or maybe the state of the structure of like curation of films that lets something like this pop out the top and 
not only get made, but get distributed fairly well, have a lot of notoriety. You know, I was telling you before the film that some of my friends in Ohio had heard of it and there was a preview on for it actually while I was telling them that we were going to go see it. And they made little gums that they left at the movie for us and, you know, marketing stuff. So how does it, <laughs> how does it make it through that when things that are so good, like our stuff, <laughs> oh, right. can't even get off the ground. Right, right, right. Yeah, I agree. I think that's it. I think it's absolutely safe. There's just a little 1% drop of scariness or risk or whatever. And that was that one present was apparently the scene where she opens the cabinet and finds several mail for several persons, which is in the trailer. I have to imagine. I mean, it's got to be right. <laughs> it probably is. <laughs> well, between who knows? I hope this audio quality works. Uh, do we have more? Acting was bad. Writing was bad. Plot was bad. Music was bad. It looked okay. I mean, things were in focus and not. <laughs> I don't even know if I feel like it looks okay. I felt like it was, early on, it was, there were bizarrely close-ups. There were a number of, the number of close-ups that it started with were bizarre. And I felt like he was using close-ups in lieu of actually having characters. It's like a film student who's like, they tell you, like, oh, the closer you are, the more connection you feel to the actor. And he's like, oh, we got to feel connected to her. Get up close. Oh, no. And then, like, ooh, something scary is going to happen. Back it up and let's do a really crazy Dutch angle. And, like, I mean, it was... I can't even say that it looked... I felt real sympathy for the dog. <laughs> <laughs> I really did. I found myself most emotionally connected to the dog. Even though he has lead-in was really sad and pathetic because again it was it was like every trope they could pull on at any point in the movie ever so it's like oh what dog is about to die oh this one it's his last day look he looks so scruffy and he won't even take a bone from you even with all of that i still i had a soft spot for the dog when he was sitting there lapping up the milk i thought oh he's just an acting dog i don't have to feel bad for him (laughs) he is just an acting dog he's probably treated very well i'm sure he was he got it a number of treats off camera after refusing his one on camera treat. <laughs> I'm uh, saying that because I have nothing else interesting to say. Yes, it was all terrible. Yeah. Oh, oh, can I just say one more thing? That's yeah. terrible. The whole scene with the, the daughters, what was it? Friend, girlfriend, partner, AA coach, whatever that situation was. Also terrible. I mean, the whole thing was bad, but... For, for her to show up and want to meet this strange woman she doesn't even know out for coffee or whatever didn't make any sense. And then she got there just to like dramatically deliver a plot point to the other woman's story, which again made no sense why she would go through that effort in her own life. And her character obviously was poorly written and everything again was completely contrived to fit whatever story they wanted it to be. So yeah. bad. Yeah, it, it did. It, it was a. It was very much a going through the motions film, which I feel like that. I feel like that happens. I think that's why some of the comic book movies I just don't care anymore, because I feel like they're just going through the motions. There's never any real risk, and there's never any real everything that you said is contrived, and just jumps from one thing that needs to happen to another. Yeah, it, it was, and so. Hot take, Greta is bad. (laughs) 
Uh, real bad. But yeah, it was utterly forgettable. I mean, in two months, is anybody going to have anything to even remember that this movie happened? Well, us bringing it up constantly is probably a new, a new different kind of low bar. It is a different kind of low bar. We have a pretty good list of low bars going. We do indeed. I think we better be able to use this because it's new and it's out now and I don't want our opinion to go unheard. Not on the record, but it's terrible. <laughs> Plus, I'm yeah. going to bring this up again in the future, I'm sure. Well, so hopefully the good we'll news see. is that you learned all this stuff so that you can now help me check that actually plugged in cords. Oh, God, I'm so like frustrated by that. It sounded pretty all right. So, If you listen, thank you. You can find us on Instagram at Collective Nightmares, on Twitter at Collect Night, C-O-L-L-E-C-T-N-I-G-H-T. We were retweeted recently by Lawrence Harvey and Tom Six. So we're pretty hot, hot stuff on Twitter <laughs> nowadays. Oh, you can email us. Either of our names are the address at collectivenightmares.com. That's our website. You can find our entire catalog of episodes there. Again, that's collectivenightmares.com. Here's my one more thing to say. <laughs> and that is, bless you, Alamo Drafthouse, for fighting the good fight against the cultural failures of America and people who live here who cannot shut the fuck up during a movie. Just can't do it. They can't do it. We got like a full minute-long voicemail, alibo, humorous, ironic teaser telling people to shut the fuck up. Then we get there like, seriously, turn off your phones, be quiet, this is a quiet zone. And despite sitting through all of that, people still can't fucking do it. They can't do it. Uh, it's an endless, it's an endless source of upset and antagonism for me. And I bless you, Alma Travis, for fighting the good fight. Because last movie we went to was Lords of Chaos and dipshit McGee sitting next to us with his piercings and fucking tattoos felt like he needed to expound on what he thought about the Norwegian black metal scene to his whoever is tolerating his presence at this point in his life. Enough to go see a movie with him during the film and they were spoken to by Alamo, and they shut up, mostly. And then today we had a little couple, two girlfriends and their little, I don't know, probably friend, friend night, where they also just couldn't shut the fuck up about a movie that did not need to have anything said about it whatsoever during the entire film. And again, I am that person who I... I know, I know it's irritating, or it's, you get kind of uncomfortable, Laura, because I am very sensitive to it. And I am also now at the point where I'm like, I, I'm over it. I'm putting up the card or whatever. And I was sort of thinking, you know what, it could be worse, because I, especially tonight, where actually the last two, I really just want to turn. I'm like over it now. I don't know what it is. There's something, too, about breaking up that fight. I was like, you know what, I'm not, I, I've just like lost this fear of people that I used to have for so long. Where I really just wanted to turn to the guy and be like, you shut the fuck up. <laughs> and in both these cases, they're not like people who I find threatening. And I don't want it to to the girls because that's mean. And then I found it really odd that people in the 
The one guy was just couldn't stop laughing in the theater. That didn't bother me. If you're laughing at the movie because it's so absurd, or even if you're uncomfortable for the most part, I could deal with that. That's a normal, like, unregulated response. But if you can't just stop your mouth from running, you need to revisit your life. <laughs> All right. Uh, you knew it was coming. You almost got away without listening to me rant, but I, I just I couldn't let it go. I just have to interject here. First of all, that it's like part of me super appreciates the streak in you. And part of me also has developed this sort of like knee-jerk PTSD kind of reaction to it. And in that it makes me, I never, it never used to bother me that much. And now it makes me super uncomfortable if people are like talking near us because I know it's bothering you. And I like empathetically can't help but be bothered for you. But I noticed their reaction in Greta because the scene when they're sitting in the movie theater talking, it's not till like maybe a minute, two minutes into the scene where they say like, oh, the movie hasn't started yet, which is weird because everybody's sitting there looking at the screen with their 3D glasses on or whatever they're doing. And that was bizarre. But like these girls are having this really bizarre long conversation about, so have you talked to your dad yet? What, what did he say? But you know, come on now you need to like give him a chance because blah, 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 blah. Like, I know it's just that I used to do this with my mom. <laughs> And I could feel myself like, ah. And then I realized that part of that was like you being there and thinking that like, you can't handle this. Marshall can't handle this. You can't do this. You can't talk like this. You can't have part of the movie happening while doing something that is going to drive him crazy. I, I noticed that, yes, they did They did try and write themselves an out with, oh, the movie hasn't started yet, which obviously it had. And obviously they were just chatting through the movie. And I did notice that and I did appreciate the irony. And the only reason they sort of got a little bit of leniency for for me from that because it was so early in the movie and I thought maybe there might still be hope. Uh, And they said, oh, well, it hasn't started yet. So they like kind of tried to give themselves an out. Um, But yes, I did appreciate the irony of the fact that the characters in this film have a conversation during a movie in a movie theater that doesn't allow that. Kick them out! Kick them out! <laughs> but it wasn't even a conversation about the film. It wasn't even like they were commenting on what they were seeing. They were just no. like, oh my god, did you do that thing last Wednesday? Like, right. Super loud in front of the whole theater. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, dear God. All right. All right. Let's call it. Okay, that's it. Horror films are our collective nightmares. Sixty people. Sixty people, maybe. Should we look at our numbers? Let's see here. Human centipede one, sixty-seven. Human centipede two, sixty-eight. Human centipede three, twenty-six. Cool. Bless you, dear souls. <laughs> Hanging in there. The well, twenty-six of you who at least even bothered to download. That kind of makes me think that maybe the same people are like. Oh yeah. You know they're downloading it. I don't know if they're listening. Yeah. Twenty-six people. That's not pretty amazing to me. <laughs> That's a lot of centipede talk. That's, it's more than five hours. Yeah, there would have, there just had to be, there was no, 
It was. Yeah, I like this. I like going through. So, okay, so writing is bad. Lack of characterization. What the big tragedy is, is I don't have the horrid part bed. Do you have the photo? No way. No way. Are you serious? We probably were just getting. Why do we see it on there? Because we were just getting Mike from my computer. Oh, Laura, the thing is... Really? Fuck up. Is that why it wasn't... I mean, there's no way to... There's no way that this was connecting. Is that why it wasn't going up? But why did we... Wait a second. So, is that why my voice wouldn't go up even probably. though we kept turning the volume up? Yeah. Oh. Probably. Can we hear it? Well, like, at least this wasn't work? a great discussion that we just lost. Did we totally lose it? Or did that might work? Maybe. I mean, it's the internal microphone of the laptop. It might be okay. It might be okay. I'm sorry. Should we listen to it for a second? Uh, well, let's just finish. Then we can listen. I think we should listen to it for a second to know if we should even keep talking. Oh. Why start this again? I think it's... Oh, <laughs> To learn how to do that. <laughs> you didn't do that? No. But see, here, so this is the engine. Okay. Oh my god, is that really? Oh, that's how high I turned it, and it's still like not bopping up as high as yours. It's definitely Does, not going to be red. It's not even yellow. Doesn't that seem loud? Well, it seems loud, except that I've seemed quiet, I feel like, the last couple times, except for Lords of Chaos. I mean, I'm so always. I get, like, right here. Does that do it? No. What the heck? I'm just... <laughs> you don't have to do anything. You barely open your mouth, and it flies over the yellow. <laughs> I want to make a terrible joke. It's because your tiny head doesn't allow your voice to. <laughs> I have a small head. I don't think. I feel like I would notice that. For the record, if any of this actually stays in the podcast, Laura does not have a tiny head. We just had the headphones adjusted wrong one time. Well, I don't and know because there's still a big gap up here. No, but... I like to tease her about it. <laughs> I just realized Greta probably is supposed to be better. So it really is just a detail, a modern telling of Hansel and Gretel. Isn't Gretel one of the kids? Oh. Aren't there two kids? Oh, yeah. What's, what's the witch's name? No, just yeah. the witch. Well, that was bad, too. <laughs> <laughs> Her name should have been Greta. And the mom should have just been called Mom or something. Um...